Hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth of February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are super McDuper, which is Scottish for super. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom, and I've eaten too much sushi. Oh, <laughs> got windy pops. I'm Donna Sorensen, by the way, everyone, before Ian answers that question. Not yet, but the night is young. <laughs> um, great, yes. Well, I'm absolutely exhausted, just to let everybody know before we start. I've had a whole day at work of going through people's personality profiles in my department and how we work together. What kind of person am I? What kind of person are they? And when I was sitting there, I I was just actually zoning out quite a lot and thinking about writing. What does this mean for my writing? The fact that I'm this kind of person on paper. It's actually quite interesting. Have you ever done any personality profiling like that? This is almost as if we talked about this beforehand, which we hadn't. We haven't talked about this. We talked about all sorts of things before we started recording. Yeah. But th- th- this this wasn't one of them. But it, as it happens, just this very week, but two to three days ago, can't quite remember which, um, I did a personality test. Hmm. In an, um, a working capacity or personally? In a working capacity, I think that um, um, there was just interest in, in, in this particular type of... But it was how other people see you, the, the test that yeah. we were looking to, uh, to do. So it was, it, it was answering a series of 20 questions, and a, a few of us did it. And then there are, there are, it, the results are in like some sort of matrix, and you can be one of, I don't know, let's say 50-odd different types of person. Hmm. Guess, guess what I was? Well, I don't know what kind of types there are. Um, I don't remember them off the top of my head. Um... Okay. Um, a reluctant clown. No, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> you're have to be a little bit more. If there were 50 personality types, you're going to have to give me some kind of clue. Uh, my personality test, there was only four types. Um, I'd say you are quite detail-oriented. Um, oriented. No, that's American. That's not true. It might be true. I don't think so, though. I, I was surprised to... Uh, I didn't even know that the word oriented even existed until a few years ago. I'd always said that things were orientated, because that's what I remember my dad said, although he, my dad sometimes slept another tasted on the end by accident. <laughs> tasted. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, things are oriented. Things are oriented in certain directions. I don't think it's an Americanism, but I'm happy to be corrected. Well, I just, I seem to remember looking it up because I thought, why is everyone else saying oriented? It sounds very modern when everyone I know when I was growing up said orientated. I think Chiefly you, uh, British, it says in the dictionary. It says orientated, chiefly British. Well. First known use of orientated, 1950. Anyway, well, tangent. Well, that is a tangent. So what what kind of personality were you in a working environment? I am the talent. You know, that's not a surprise guffaw from me. That's just um, amazed at the confidence with which you delivered that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Great. So you're the talent in the company. I mean, this this just gets better. Well, I mean, not not all of us did the test. And it it wasn't like, you know, I think I'm I'm the talent anywhere, I think is what he was trying to say. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was uh, interesting that it did get... Uh, there was about seven or eight people did it, and it was, uh, in terms of people's roles in the company, it was re- relatively accurate. It's like the boss got something related to power, and, and you know, I've, I, I'm kind of... I'm not a talent, but I am, you know, uh, the more creative type. It was, it, it was, uh, it was interesting. Why, why do you mention it? Why do, how do we get onto this? This is not in the notes. It's not in the notes, but I mentioned it because I don't know whether this is a cultural thing. This was a Danish... I presume it's a Danish test with Danish colleagues. Um, and as well, it was about how, how you perceive yourself and how others perceive you. Not only that, it's also how you are in a work environment and you need to kind of factor out how you are socially, which can be hard because you can feel like you're someone else outside of work. But what was interesting was the way that creativity was, da- uh, speaking Danish there, creativity was split up between different personality types because, you know, there was this thing that if you're very like, 
if you go very much into detail and you like, you know, to make sure that everything's done properly, then you're less likely to be very creative. Whereas if you're like some kind of flouncy extrovert who, you know, bounds around irritating everybody at work, you're more likely to be more creative. I think that's nonsense, though, Mm. surely. Yeah, well, I mean, and also the fact that, you know, first of all, fine if you want to pigeonhole people and it could be you've got traits strong traits in one but I mean everybody has a bit of everything I'd say there are the odd one or two colleagues who are more extreme for sure but most people are very very difficult to pigeonhole like that anyway I I was just worried about it because I was like okay I can see at work that I'm extremely detailed I'm going to stick with it orientated but um but you know my role is actually very creative and I have to be creative every day so that can't you know I mean that has to factor into it too you know well, I always think it's interesting how um, how writers and musicians, I suppose, um, um, even even I suppose even painters, I guess, anyone creative, you're you're kind of given the label of being a creative person. Sometimes, Ian, you're a creative person. Come and solve this task that you probably can't do. <laughs> and um, and and but actually, like for me, writing, especially in my work life where I'm copywriting and editing and stuff like that, I, I actually, in my head, it's a really mechanical kind of process. It's, it's, you know, should there be a comma there or a semicolon? Should that be a hyphen or an endash? Is that sentence written in an active voice or a passive voice? Like, to me, these are real kind of just basic mechanical decisions. There is almost a yes and a no answer to those kind of questions when it comes to copywriting. Now, there is obviously more scope for creativity if you're trying to think of a an exciting strapline or if you're trying to kind of build a, a wider content marketing campaign of some kind. So you're not just thinking of the words, but how they're delivered in the context of like a wider plan. But I would say even in writing fiction or poetry, and, and certainly with songs, you know, everything has a has a structure. And whilst I realise that these things are subjective when it comes to a reader or a listener, etc., they do still all have a structure and there is there are some there are some rights and wrongs, I think. Um and and it's when those rights and wrongs are broken in a really kind of unique way that 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 it still works. That's when things get really interesting. And mm. we go back to last year and um, and uh, uh, the girl is a half formed thing by I've forgotten how you pronounce her name again. Donna, Ema, Ema McBride. Ema McBride, um, which was totally unconventional in terms of structure and grammar and and spelling and all sorts. It was a very unconventional book, but it really worked. But that, the reason it was so um, alarming, the book, was because partly because it broke all of those rules. It broke all of those mm. conventions. Yeah. So, I don't know, creativity, uh, maybe it's because I've been writing for 15 odd years, but cre- creativity is not something I necessarily associate with myself, like, all of the time. No, exactly. And I think, you know, we are living very pressured lives with deadlines and things that we have to do and you know there are certain things that we need to adhere to and and structures and processes um and and yeah I I can't see how you can get away from that this I think this is more about what you enjoy as well whether you you know enjoy the fact that for example with my job I'm creating content that's being sent out very publicly every day and I have to create content every day and people see it and so I feel there's you know there's a lot of pressure that it's that it's perfect before it goes out but then on the other hand you don't have a lot of time to make it perfect so it's just about how to how to you know write that in your own mind and say okay this this part of it i i really enjoy this part i don't enjoy so much and and you know it was quite interesting anyway that was it complete tangent to start with but um i think it's important that we all consider you know how how in what ways are we creative and do we hold ourselves back in certain ways from some things, you know, because of uh, concerns about the way people perceive us, that we want our writing to be liked by a certain type of person or lots of people, you know. I'm sure that the people that have written really successful things that haven't given a, a two hoots about what people think have probably been the most successful, wouldn't you say? I don't, oh, I don't, know, about the, I don't know about the most successful, but there's definitely... Um... If you think about all of the people who are publishing, um, th- you know, through Amazon in the last few years, um, I don't think it's too controversial to say that whilst there are some fantastic independent authors who are, you know, making a, 
uh, a good living or not. And you know, they're good writers. There are lots of there are lots of other independent authors who are just whacking stuff up on Amazon willy nilly, and um, and and they don't they don't care. I don't know if we're kind of venturing from creativity to quality control, but I do think it's. Um, this oh, this was something actually we got this in we might have this in our notes as something we we're going to talk about I can't quite remember what we've got in here now but I I was certainly going to talk about it at some point there's this um, an article let me see if I can find it I know it's not ideal that I'm <laughs> saying this as I'm as we no it's not in the notes can't remember what the article was I shall find it but it was it was about um, how 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 much writers should publish and the fact that there is this kind of there is a model now that has been popular for the last couple of years, particularly among, well, almost entirely amongst independent publishers, uh, authors, sorry, authors, um, who are, they have lots of books. That's the theory. Oh, I know what the article was. It was about whether you should blog or not. I will find it. It's about should should authors bother with social media or not? Should they bother mm. with blogging? Yeah. Which is something we've touched on before. But this was coming at it from a slightly different angle because I hadn't been aware that a lot of uh, self-published authors had kind of abandoned the idea of blogging and were concentrating much less on social media, whereas they had been like, you know, you must do these things if you want to sell your, you know, your self-published book. For the last couple of years, the trend has been for um, independent authors to write lots and I'm saying independent authors. I know that there are lots of traditional authors that you know write lots, but um, they don't have the ability to just put it out there straight away. Um, and 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 what they do, they'd have what was called a perma-free book. Have you heard of that phrase before, Donna? No, I have not. A perma-free book, and this book is often the first in a series of books. Um, um, so you know, like if you've got a series of thrillers with the same, you know, you know what a series is, don't you? <laughs> um, and what they do is make the first one permanently free. It's a perma-free book. And the idea is that lots of people buy and download, um, or they buy it, they download the free book, and then ideally that will help them kind of venture onto book two and three, and then, oh, look, they've got some other books too. So it really is like a, a genuine marketing strategy. And I'm not an expert, and I apologise if there are any independent authors listening who are kind of, you know, throwing something at me metaphorically at the moment. But... Um, it seems to be like an actual marketing idea that you just write lots, just mm. put as much out there as possible. Like, a, um, I won't quite go as far to say quantity over quality, but you know, if if that's kind of your marketing plan to write as much as possible and just throw it out there and have one book free and get all the rest to kind of um, follow, then there is an element of that, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it makes me look at my one book in <laughs> my one novel in. Well, if I say my one novel in four years, that'll make me feel better um, since uh, since the book was published. But you know, it's I'm that's not me. That, I'm not that type of author, and not just because um, I sort of um, uh, um, ideologically don't work that way. Um, I I just uh, I just I find it quite difficult to write that much. I mean, I'd, I personally would rather have three books that I love and are amazing, in my opinion, that I'm happy with, um, and and that that'll do, rather than kind of have ten where I look back and go, I just put those out there to try and make a few quid. <laughs> Absolutely, and I can tell you another writer who doesn't operate that way, Ian. Who, who is this? Harper Lee. Oh, indeed, Harper Lee. She, <laughs> I think that's how she pronounces it now. Um, we have to talk about the the news, the big news this week. I mean, for me, this was one of the biggest news writing stories in forever. The fact that Harper Lee is about to have her second book ever published 55 years after the first one. I mean, it's just, it's it's astounding, isn't it? But, it, but is it too astounding? Is it too good to be true? Is there something at the root of all this that is more unpalatable than perhaps we first thought? I mean, I think there's the potential that there is. We should, I mean, I'm sure everybody has heard the story that, that Harper Lee, um, somebody, I believe it was a lawyer, which already sounds suspect, stumbled across um, a manuscript when going through Harper Lee's stuff at her family home because apparently she's in an assisted living facility these days because she's 88 years old. She has She's virtually blind but she's still able to read apparently. But I mean, you know, this is this is a lady, an elderly lady. Um, and so anyway, the manuscript was found and it turned out to be 
um, a sequel to uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was written before To Kill a Mockingbird. So it's absolutely incredible. And Harper Lee apparently says that she didn't think that the manuscript had survived, but that actually the idea had always been to have a trilogy. But you're missing out quite an important part of that story. I don't know if you're doing that intentionally or you just don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, is that rude? It wasn't meant to be rude. <laughs> was it rude? Oh it dear! Rude. If you're asking if it's rude, then it must have been. Go on. What was that? Uh, well, the the there's an article that has been widely sort of uh, retweeted and read um, on Jezebel. I can't remember the author. I'll put this in the show notes, um, which you can find at five by five dot tv slash wfyl slash one four seven. And um, everything you said, I, I believe to be true. But the key thing is that three months ago, mm. the um, Hopper Lee's sister, I think it was a sister, sister or cousin, I it think sister, sister. Yep. Um, who has fiercely defended her privacy her entire life. Who was, she was a lawyer, her sister was a lawyer and was in charge of her estate and fiercely kind of defended her privacy for like 50, 60, 70 years, mm. um, died three months ago. Three months later, another lawyer takes over and all of a sudden this long lost book is being published but i think that there's been response like a public response to to that because i mean that's that's fair enough and obviously it looks like the two go hand in hand but let's just consider the fact that this decision to publish this book was taken last year when harper lee's sister was still alive and also harper lee's sister was 103 i mean if harper lee's sister is able to stand up for what she thinks harper lee should do at 103, I'm pretty sure that Harper Lee at 88 is able to make such decisions herself. I mean, maybe this is this is just that that things are happening a bit quicker now, maybe because because this has happened. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you know America's national treasure is being used and abused. I just can't see it that way. I mean, Harper Lee has resisted her entire life, and for, for you know good reasons, her own reasons. Well, you you say why? What what is it that this is a bit like uh, Zook's books all over again? You've got your entire faith in these these rich conglomerates. What's um, <laughs> no, I've got what? my faith in Har- in Harper Lee. This, right, that, that she's that she's, she's not than, she's not than... mental just because she can't read. <laughs> is, that, is that the PC term for that? <laughs> okay, she's not demented. Let's put it oh, that that's way. Better. I, that's I, better. <laughs> I, I just I don't want her to be cast as some poor old lady who doesn't know what she's doing if that's not the case i think we need to just hold on a second and see you know just because she's 88 and has has not wanted to be in the public spotlight all her life doesn't mean that this manuscript that she wrote to be published 55 years ago and didn't really think much about or didn't know where it was or wasn't sure whether she wanted it published later that that she now wants it published you know in her later much 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 later years it could well be the case that she's been pressured into it, but I'm just saying it's easy. I think it's like it's a story for people as well. They like to, oh, what about the intrigue of this, you know? Well, I agree with that. I agree that people look for stories where there aren't any. But if this is, if it is true that she is, she's kind of been somehow swindled into publishing a book that she never necessarily wanted published or that, you know, she doesn't want published now, maybe she did once but not now, then that that's... That is awful. I mean, that's pretty pretty awful. We've got all these people like clamouring for it, and people will. I mean, how do you think it will be received? Well, this was this was my original concern. Was like, how on earth is Harper Lee going to cope with online poo slinging? I mean, literally, the fact that her name is is going to be dragged through mud. I mean, this is this is a, a whole different world compared to fifty five years ago. If you're going to publish a book, I was worried that you know. Poor Harper Lee. <laughs> but that's, that's ridiculous. And I just actually saw something on Twitter which was um, fascinating, actually. It was something that she had written herself in 1962 about publishing and writing stories. And she had just said, I would advise anyone who aspires to a writing career that before developing his talent, he would be wise to develop a thick hide. So she has been dealing with being you know, a national treasure in America and having opinions about her life and about her writing, you know, discussed in the schools and universities and everywhere for 55 years. So, um, 
yeah and and also i doubt she's very much online if she if she's you know not able to read even oh she is able to read apparently with a very big magnifying glass (laughs) (laughs) ian that is not funny that's true (laughs) i didn't know it was true i thought that you were (laughs) you thought i was just making that i wasn't being silly no if um if Harper Lee is online, then I, I would highly recommend that she checked out our sponsor this week. Oh, and who is that sponsor? That's lynda.com. Um, so um, as I'm saying this, uh, this read for the sponsor, perhaps imagine I'm talking to Harper Lee. Don't do that. No, she closed the door on you, I'm sure. But our listeners are not going to do that. They want to hear more. No. And do you know why? It's because it's already February and what on earth are you waiting for? Invest in yourself this year and start learning something new at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work-life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. So all you need to do is sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting our very special URL, which is lynda.com slash WFYL. And that will get you unlimited access to every course on lynda.com, access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone plus Android mobile devices, and access to new courses which are added every single week. Now then, the folks at lynda.com have suggested some courses for our fine discerning audience, and they are uh, getting things done, which is the course, uh, the kind of productivity course of to end all productivity courses which is run by uh, david allen himself so the actual videos you watch are hosted by the man who invented the whole thing business writing fundamentals if you're copywriters like donna and me then that'll be handy or if you want to be a copywriter then that'll be handy grammar fundamentals very important this is not a creative matter this is all about bricks and mortar in the writing world And finally, breaking out of a rut, which is something all writers need to do at some point, if not regularly. Um, I've tried this myself. I've used lynda.com myself, Um, not for any of those things. It's been more for learning kind of video editing and um, things to do with GarageBand and uh, kind of minor audio editing, things that have been useful in making this podcast, but also doing video work um, in my professional career too. So... um, Again, just to remind you of what you need to do, invest in yourself this year. That's the first thing. But how do you do that? Well, you sign, <laughs> you sign up for a free 10-day trial to lynda.com, and the URL to go to, again, is lynda.com slash WFYL. So go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Go ahead. Do I it. challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Yes. Fantastic. Oh, do you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. I'm going to sing podcasters question. Wow. Yeah. Um, because I just want to, to put it to you that this, this whole thing about Harper Lee could be for so many people such a big thing because they were forced to read to Mockingbird at school. Do you think that that makes a difference? Do you think that the books that we were forced to read at school have a very different place in our psyche than other books? Well, I've said a number of times on this podcast that the book that made me want to be a writer is Cat's Eye by Margaret Atwood. Mm. I did that book on my A-level English literature course, I think. Um, so I was, I was, you know, I chose, at this point, I've chosen to do English literature. It's, you know, I've decided this is going to be an important thing in my life. And so I'm keen. I'm keen as mustard. I'm, I'm interested in the book. But I've still got to read what they tell me i have to read um and and i just wonder i mean margaret atwood is great so i suspect if i read it again it would still be fantastic but in my head that book has kind of been inflated Mm. um uh, in importance and uh, and interestingly the the other book that i that I, i remember reading the book and thinking just being blown away by 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 the book um and this was kind of in my mid-twenties, so about ten years ago probably, I'd left university, I read 
uh, Joyce Carol Oates, and the book is called, it's quite a brutal title, it's quite a brutal book. The title is called Rape, A Love Story. And I remember reading the first, I don't know, maybe the first page, but certainly the first chapter of that and just like being floored, absolutely floored. It was, it was just some of the most powerful writing I'd ever read. Very short book, brilliant book. I don't know how well known it is, though, of course, Joyce Carol Oates is very well known. Um, and and I'd kind of forgotten about that, and I happened to stumble across it on my bookshelf. And um, I read the, those first few pages again, and I was just blown away all over again. And as I was reading it, I just saw bits of my own writing in it, and I just thought, oh, my God, this book influenced me quite a lot, and I hadn't even realised it had obviously seeped in. Now, I don't know whether if I if I went back to the stuff that I read at school, whether anything would have had that same impact, but I still remember those books quite fondly. Finally, I should admit here at this point that I didn't do To Kill a Mockingbird at school, and it, I still haven't read it. Oh, well, that's very interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, you should do it now before... Uh... I've been waiting for the prequel. <laughs> sequel. It's a sequel. <laughs> I thought it was a prequel. Um yeah, because I, I did uh, study To Kill a Mockingbird at school and absolutely loved it. And then I think about the fact that, you know, it is one of those books that I just is, is kind of a little bit holy. It seems a little bit holy, you know. I In terms of Shakespeare, I studied Macbeth and I would say that's definitely the Shakespeare play that I can most... Well, not necessarily relate to, but I can access it. And of course, that's because, you know, you have, you, you're you picking it to pieces and taking it apart. And I think that that made a real difference for me. On the other hand, I did also study Romeo and Juliet. And I hate Romeo and Juliet so much. I really, really can't stand it. And just sitting here, I'm wondering whether it's uh, to do with the fact that <laughs> we were quite young when we studied Romeo and Juliet. I think we we're about 14 or something. And we had to write an essay about it. Um and I remember our teacher, I hated our English teacher. She was, well, hate's a bit of a strong word. Hate I will reserve for Romeo and Juliet, but not for people. I disliked her. Um, and she, as she was handing out the essay, she was saying that they were all terrible. It was absolutely awful. Like probably the worst performance in essay she'd seen in a long time. And then she said in front of the class, and somebody even wrote that Juliet wanted to become a nun. And everyone laughed. And I was going, ah, who wrote that? Who wrote that? And then I got my essay back and it was me. <laughs> And I think maybe I was a little bit traumatised by that whole... That reminds me um, That reminds me very much of a sex education class that we had. Oh, dear. Um, when we were 12 to 13, 12, 13 years old, secondary school, not being there long, sort of still meeting new people. And, um, and uh, we was, we, the, 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 the teacher um, who was running the sex education class, I won't say his name, his name was Mr Wilson, and um, he, uh, he, uh, he. Um, no, I can't say. I was going to say something which is true, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you about it afterwards. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's probably, um, it's probably um, um, a police matter. Um, oh. Anyway, that's not what I was talking this gets about. It's worse and worse. This story. I'm like terrified no, now the, about what you're going to say. The, the the point of the story is not what he got up to, but the point of the story is um, that. Um, uh, much much like your situation there where you just kind of had to go along with it where perhaps people knew that it was you or maybe they didn't I don't know but in the sex education class we all had to hand in anonymous questions <laughs> is there a question oh no is there a question you'd like to ask yeah um, about uh, about uh, sex education in general and of course the teacher would then read them and uh, and do his best to answer them and so you'd have things like you know should I have, should I have had my period by now um, which I probably shouldn't have asked. <laughs> um, then we had things like I don't know. Um, um, is is it normal that this happens in the morning? And um, and then there was one, which was if you have uh, if you have uh, ginger hair on your head, does that mean that you have ginger hair around your pubic area? And there was only one ginger haired boy in the class. <laughs> oh, so. Oh no! Did everyone turn and look in his direction at that point? Oh, people were d- d- turning and, and laughing and pointing and spitting and throwing pencil cases. It was awful. I mean, he should—he could have said blonde. He could have said anything. Like, oh, he will—he is probably still thinking about that. He didn't think it through. No, he did not. Oh dear. Anyway, I do you know what I would really like to know? I would love to know. I'll, 
from our listeners because we have listeners from all over the world which is very exciting what books they studied at school and whether they are books that they love or revere or or how it's affected them and they can share that on the right for your life hashtag can't they wfyl i see it's that easy we stole that hashtag yeah every now and again someone from that charity tweets something don't they yeah I know, and we're just like, nope, this is us. <laughs> but no one replies. I mean, no. no one replies to it, so I assume that we're not doing any harm. No, no, it's absolutely fine. Well, great. Well, uh, we squeezed quite a lot of juice out of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, what have you found yourself reading this week or, or being interested in? Uh, well, I've um, I've got uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention. First of all, I was going to do this at the start. Is this the start? I don't know. Um, first was that um, I, I am in this month's edition, print edition, of which there is only a print edition, of a writing magazine, which I don't subscribe to, but a few people have congratulated me, so I think it might be a bigger deal than I, than I realised. Um, but I was asked to do this actually two years ago, right after the boys had been born, my twin boys, had, uh, right after they were born, I was asked to... Uh, do um, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was something to do with where I write, and um, um, uh, it was an article. And I, I kind of did it, and I sort of half did it because I was so busy, what with having two new children all at once. And um, and then I got, I kind of nothing came of it. And then I did it again. Um, I don't know October or something like that. Sort of forgot about it, and then got an email three or four days ago to say, oh, that's it's in this month's edition of Writing Magazine. So if anyone wants to know about my writing day. You can go to my website and there is a scan of that of that article, which is legal. I've asked about it. It's fine. I was going to say, that's, I bet they're thrilled that you've done that. No, they're fine. I asked first. And I've also sort of written out some of the sort of key quotes. But it's about, it's, there's a bit about um, stuff that we talk about here, you know, writing on an iPad, um, sacrificing your life for your writing, lots of things. It's really, yeah. it's really interesting. That'll be in the show notes too. And and the other thing that's happened, it's happened. It happened before, like a couple of months ago, and I thought nothing of it. But I've started. I have a. Do you have a Google Alert set up for you and your book? Actually, no, I can't be. No. <laughs> right, I'm so well, tired of looking at Google Alerts all day, every day at work. Maybe that's why I should definitely do it. But I mean, you know. Oh, so but, you 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 know what you're doing with your Google? Um, I'm an alerter. You're you're a Google uh, Google Alert spurt. Yes. Um. Well, I'm not. I've just got it set up to... I've just got my name and then um, Ace for Angelica. And I'll be honest with you, Donna, if I get one every three months, I'm happy. <laughs> um, and it's usually something that I've put on my own website where it's finally realised... It's kind of just... It's kind of not realised that that's my own website where my name is all over it and going, oh, there's a new article about Ian Bruni. And then I, <laughs> He's I go... He's going to like oh. this one. Let's send it to him. I go, The Guardian, they finally got hold of... It's the New York Times. <laughs> and then I get some nonsense that I've written. Mm. Um, anyway, um, I've, I've, I've been inundated with Google Alerts for A.S. for Angelica this week, and um, every one of them seems to go to some kind of weird forum. There are sort of, seem to be two or three internet forums um, where people can find what I think are, are, are pirate links to pirated copies of, of, uh, of my book. Those rascals. Absolute rascals. Um, and, uh, so have and, you done some forum stalking? Have you been on there? Well, it's it doesn't. It's hard to know. I don't. I, if anyone listening has any kind of experience of this, I I don't have any experience. I haven't spoken to my publisher yet, mainly because I don't think it's worth doing anything about this at all. I think it's just one of those things um, that kind of happens now. But I, I and I don't know what I would do anyway. It seems like a, it seems like for for the for the kind of the problems that it causes me which is barely any and the amount of kind of sales that we're talking about for me then i don't think it's worth me pursuing it time-wise but still interesting that two years after it's been published this is only just cropping up um only only once only only one of these forum posts that i saw was seemed to be like an actual person who was talking about the book someone wrote something along the lines of oh i know that we can download um you know classics like this that, and the other but what about contemporary novels like and then my novel Ace for Angelica so that was the only time where it even looked like a real person had, had kind of had done this um 
So I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as I did. Basically, basically, these sites looked as dodgy as hell. So I thought, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just launch into this sort of willy-nilly. Um, but I did do a couple of clicks, and I could sort of click through, yeah, okay, I'll download that. And then it gave me sort of, it looked a bit like a torrent site, so it gave me sort of three or four different sort of servers I could download it from. And I clicked on it, and then and then it kind of, you know, where do you want to save it on your computer? And it was a DMG file, which is, um, I guess, the Windows equivalent is a .exe file. And um, and so it's that, that's a program, so it's like or a package to to kind of install a program on your computer. Now, I've written a book. I haven't written a computer program, so immediately I was thinking maybe this isn't a pirated version of my book. Maybe maybe we're all being hoodwinked here. Um, so I didn't actually complete the process of downloading the file onto my computer. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know what this. So okay, so you don't know actually whether it was just somebody had asked a question about whether they could d- download your book anywhere because you haven't actually you, you can't see that people are downloading it. I can't see that people are downloading it. It's always in... Well, the, the Google Alert sent me to forums, so forum mm. posts, mm. and then the link from those forum posts sent me to what looked like a torrent site that I didn't especially recognise, not that I would necessarily mm. recognise many of them, but it you know, it was a that kind of familiar ads everywhere, three or four big download buttons. You know, It looked as dodgy as you might imagine it would look. Um, but like I say, there was one person who... It was interesting. There was one person who said the message that I just mentioned and then there's another post which was a review of the book and it's a review that i recognized because it was i've seen it on amazon so it's a genuine review of my book and i'm thinking well where's that come from is that person who wrote that review are, are, are they were they actually part of this forum is this forum real doesn't look very real but maybe it is maybe it's a maybe it's a forum about books you know for readers but they also happen to talk about where to pirate stuff which is completely plausible um i just don't have any knowledge and experience in this area and i know that i know that it's happened to usually much bigger authors really because obviously more people want to download their stuff but um yeah i just thought it was worth mentioning that it can kind of happen to even middleisters like i me exciting (laughs) in a way (laughs) whatever i want to know now what that thing was that you downloaded like whether it is eventually um the thing is i mean mean, you, you were you were quite up for for downloading and opening that book, and if you didn't do it, then I wonder how many people would kind of follow the process through anyway. It was just the fact that it wasn't it wasn't like an EPUB or a .mobi file. It was a .dmg file, which is mm. you know a, a program mm. or a package. Dodge seemed a bit dodge. Totes dodge. So, are we? Uh, should we, what what, what oh, sort of time? Are we well, what, I was just going to say before we do the listeners' question. Can we <laughs> miss, miss that note a bit there? Anyway, that wasn't the proper. I'll do it properly think, in a minute. I don't, I don't think you missed this at all. I think you got all five of them. <laughs> just did all of them. Um, I just wanted to share a writing opportunity that I'd seen with everybody, which. Don't, don't call it a opportunity. <laughs> a opportunity. A ripportunity. A ripportunity. Ripportunity. That's great. That's good. Got there eventually. Um, for unagented writers so unsolicited manuscripts which is quite cool isn't it i mean i don't know whether this kind of thing comes along very often but i just thought i'd share it anyway we'll put it in the show notes tinder press uh between the 2nd and 15th of march so quite soon if you could get something ready by then they are um accepting unsolicited manuscripts novels short stories um in celebration of their birthday and in association with the reading agency so we'll put a link on and you can see whether you've got something ready to submit to them. That's cool, isn't it? Yep. Always good to find these new opportunities. As you say, we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of topics here that we can talk about. I know that we've got the listeners' question as well. We've got about 10 minutes left, maybe 10 to 12 minutes left. Um, we could talk about... Um, uh, we could do the listeners' question. Then should we finish with Gone Girl or Woman? which I think is probably a bigger topic, or should we talk about the most British story ever? <laughs> the fluff that I found. I think it's nice to have a little bit of fluff at the end. We could just put the fluff in the show notes because it's the most British story I've ever seen in my entire life, and I thought maybe people would like to see that because you can't get more British. We don't even okay. need to talk about it. It's well, just about not- a British knight who looks like Roald Dahl, who's found a library book from 1949 that he's returned to the school library where he took it from and paid like $2,000 for it. 
So when you say knight, you don't mean he looks like the hound from Game of Thrones. You mean he's like a, an old chap who uh, is probably born into wealth and is... Uh, looks is, slightly uh, inbred. Yeah, so he he does look like he is part of the British aristocracy. He looks... How, how, based, based on the picture, how would you say... And based on the picture and the fact that this is an extremely British story. Yeah. So the title of the story is British Knight Returns Library Book After 65 Years with $2,200 to cover the fine. Why does it say dollars? Is that just because it's an American site? Yeah. Okay, so looking at the picture, do you recognise his name? Sir James Tidmarsh? Sir James Tidmarsh. Tidmarsh. No, but I I feel like I recognise his face. I, he, he I comes, Yeah, don't, don't you think so? But he comes from the the area where, where I come from. Um, we have loads of knights wandering around in that part of the world. Um, it's like a joust city. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we'll just put that in the show notes. Anyway, there's nothing really to discuss. I'm sure we've you, all had library books that we've we've accidentally not given back and kept based, on our shelves. Based on the based on the, the picture of him, the, the way that he's pointing at this old library book, which, yeah. if you're interested, is a copy of W. Uh, Somerset Maugham's Ashenden. Um, uh, based on the picture, based on the way he's pointing at this book, based on the fact that he's a knight of the realm and that he didn't bother returning a library book after six to five years, and he seems to think it's a joke. Um, <laughs> how would you? How would you? How would you say he... How would you do his voice? How would you say he talked? Uh, um, just bloody found this book on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically, definitely how he sounds. I, pr- I would bet a lot of money on it. I bet $2,200 that that's how he talks. Chance would be a fine thing. <laughs> anyway, we weren't going to talk about it. We've ended up talking about it. And now we are very squeezed for our listener's question. Do it, Ian. Ask Do it. it. Um, just give me a second. I'm looking at a knight of the realm. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> listeners question this week. We have two listeners questions, uh, which is one more than we need, but we appreciate them both. <coughs> That's a bit of time filled while I read them. We have, um, I'm going to go for, which one shall I go for? Do you want to Let's do the top out? one? That was the one you wrote down first. That's why it's at the top. Um, hang on. It's from, uh, Taylor Lee. Um, who sent me this message, sent us, sent, sent all of us, gang, on uh, on Twitter. And her Twitter name is Tweedle which is brilliant. Um, and Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H, go follow. And uh, she asks, if you have multiple writing ideas, do you focus on one? And then are, a follow-up question, two questions in one, are there ways to work on more than one at a time? So I responded by asking, do you mean kind of what we talked about a few times actually what I've talked about the idea of um, if you've got more than one idea should you just sort of focus on one or try and combine them into the same story um, um, or does she mean do you if you have sort of two writing projects mm. do you just focus on lot, like one of them yeah I mean does it distract you go, you know leaving one world and going into another from yes. being fully immersed in the other one yeah I imagine that's uh, what she meant was that what she meant it is, yeah. yeah. So, so she said she means two separate projects. So, for example, it might be you're working on a novel, but you've got a really good idea for a screenplay. So do you focus all of your attention on one or do you try and combine them both? Mm. I, I mean, I would imagine it comes down to what kind of personality type you are, like we discussed at the start. Because um, I'm always having to dip in and out of my longer things. That's just the way it is. But with po- poems, I really like to try to focus on one at a time. I don't. I rarely have more than one poem on a go at once. But just logistically, I mean, you, I, I, you couldn't, I couldn't have one longer piece of writing on the go at once. I've had different ones started and and that. But um, but yeah, that's just my my way of going about it. Well, it, this sort of uh, it, it cuts me to the quick a bit because I kind of just reading these questions makes me realise that this is kind of the core of what I consider my biggest problem at the moment is that. I, I'm struggling to just sit down and focus on the one thing. I'm getting, I have lots of sort of, the way that I've always done it, I always focused on the novel and I didn't write anything else creative, you know, in terms of creative writing while I was working on my first novel. Um, but I would always have another writing project. So uh, at first that would have been um, editing a literary magazine whilst writing the novel. 
and then I was doing my spoken word that whilst writing the novel, then I was doing the blog while writing my novel, and I guess now you might say I do this podcast while writing the novel. So it's, I always have something else on the go at the same time. Um, and, and now, of course, I feel kind of um, in some way bound to keep this side of things up because... You know, I don't want to just disappear off the face of the earth for two years while I've finished the book, or six months, or however long it might be, whilst I write my book and then kind of lose lose my, oh goodness, I'm going to say it, lose any kind of online presence that, that I may have. Actually, that's probably nonsense, and I shouldn't worry about that, but let's just say that I do. So I've always kept this side of things going and focused on one project, but I've not struggled with that one project, so in this case, writing my second novel, um, I haven't struggled with my writing like I have done over the last 18 months to two years where, you know, my life has changed so much that um, uh, that, that I've, I've found it difficult to, to do things in the way that I previously did. So I've, I've really struggled to, I, I, but I've still had that mentality of, well, I need to focus on this one thing. Yes, I do the podcast, but I need to focus on this one thing, which is writing my second novel. And more, more recently, and I'm talking literally the last couple of months, I'm starting to really open up to the idea that if I sit down to write, it's better for me if I write something, whatever the project might be, than to sit and think, right, I need to write this novel, and uh, if I sit here staring at my screen and don't do anything for 30 minutes, then uh, that's better in some way than, 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 than just writing something and it being for something else. So I'm at the, at the point here where I'm just sort of trying to weigh up exactly the same sort of question. And I think what you said, Donna, is absolutely right. It depends on your personality. And I would say that it also depends on where you are in your life and maybe in your writing career too. Uh, but also know- where you are in the story. Because I imagine that once you get right down into the nitty gritty of it, then there's not going to be other things you want to write. You are just going to, every time you have a, f- a spare second to write, it's going to be back in that spot that you left it. In yes. The novel. That's a really good point, actually. That's a really good point. I am, I'm, I, I don't know what you're writing, Taylor, but I, 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 in terms of a novel, there is definitely a series of humps that you have to get over, and I'm still at some of those early humps. That I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm getting to the bottom of the hump, the incline. I'm getting to the bottom of the incline, and I'm just sort of tumbling back like a rubbish snowball. Sounds awful. Poor you. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Great. Well, I think we answered that one. Now, what about the next listener's question? <laughs> this one is by Kirsten um, hmm. Hams. Hames. Hamiz. Uh, don't know how to pronounce that. I'm really sorry, Kirsten. What would you say, Donna? H- Hams. H-A- Hams. Yeah, you're probably right. Kirsten Hams. Uh, H-A-M-M-E-S uh, on Twitter, Kirsten is with an E, go follow her. Um, she asks, is there a way of testing out a book idea without writing the whole book? What do you think? Is there is there a oh. way of uh, testing Well, I mean, out- there's loads of on way, uh, online uh, ways, isn't there? But I would say definitely the best way to do that, I personally think, is to, is to take pieces of it to spoken word nights and uh, to read it to people, gauge their responses. You could also do that with writing groups, of course, if you're ready for the, for the feedback. Yes, I think that maybe the I don't know if this is the reason you're asking this, Kirsten, but it could be that you know that if you're going to send your novel to or your book, if it's nonfiction, to uh, to an agent, then you usually do have to have a completed piece of work. So I don't know if you're asking this, but you might quite reasonably think, is it worth me finishing this whole book if actually it's going to get to the point where I want someone to help me get it published, and they're going to go, oh, you shouldn't have bothered doing this. You're absolutely right, Donna. I agree that the best thing to do is um, uh, uh, early on is to speak to people uh, show people your work and get some feedback uh, at an early stage mm. so I've people there's quite a few people sort of I don't know family my agent a couple of uh, other sort of trusted acquaintances who know that my idea for my uh, for my second novel they know what I'm working on and they've all kind of said yep if you can pull it off that sounds sounds good and a couple of people have kind of just been, I think I've mentioned this before, kind of slightly horrified, which I've taken to be a good thing because they kind of, you know, if it had that, not that I want to write shocking things, but if, you know, if, if the subject matter is interesting enough to kind of grip people, then then 
hopefully I'm onto something. Mm. And I would add to that that I, I have mentioned it on the podcast before, but um, if you can keep an eye out for um, writing courses or writing classes or seminars that are run by um, uh, publishers or editors from publishing companies, that that is a really good way to test the water because you know you end up taking a piece of the writing almost like your synopsis and a small chunk of of, of the idea of it that you've you've started to draft and you you have the opportunity to workshop it with this person and that is a very good way to gauge if it's something which a publishing company might be interested in because you're going to actually be you know have one-to-one feedback and that is possible I have done that with uh, publishers before so keep an eye out for courses like that Absolutely, and like you said, a, writer, a local writing group is a um, you know it, you, it is difficult to necessarily find one that's right for you. So you might have to try a few writing groups out, but um, you know they're everywhere. Great, Ian. We haven't got time to talk about Gone Girl. No, I think it's a bigger topic um, anyway. We'll, we'll we'll save it a little juicy nugget for next week. Um, and I'll just say to everybody, you can find me on Twitter at The Flying Poet. Love to see you there. We have our Facebook page, Write for Your Life. Also be delightful to see you there. Uh, we do. Uh, we don't use that, though. No, I know, but I thought I'd say it anyway. I've also got my website, sorensenpoetry.com. Love to see you guys there. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> hey. Um, you can find me on Twitter too at Ian Broom I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E I've recently discovered that the way to get more people to follow you is just like follow people um, so I'm sort of mixing up the people that I follow on Twitter it's quite an interesting experiment looking for new writers new kind of publishing reading related people I've not really been doing that for ages mainly out of laziness um, so you can find me there uh, or my website ianbroom.com oh the newsletter um, that's uh, I've sent my second newsletter out Another good response. People seem to like the kind of slightly new format. You can find that ianbroom.com slash mailing hyphen list, which I still need to change. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. And we will speak to you next week. Will do. Bye-bye. Bye.